0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. We are just days away from Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th. Early voting is ongoing in New York, and it runs through Sunday, November 6th. There's no in-person voting on Monday the 7th, and then Election Day, the big day, is November 8th. And of course, Absentee balloting has been ongoing. The New York governor's race between Democrat Kathy Hochul, the sitting governor, and Republican Lee Zeldin, a Long Island congressman, has appeared in some polling to be fairly close, and it's getting a lot of attention now as the race comes down to the wire. Much of the outcome of that race and many others across the state, from statewide contests to major battleground elections for the U.S. House of Representatives and the state legislature, will come down to who actually votes and whether candidates can juice their bases to turn out as well as where swing voters go. Today, I'm joined by one of, if not the foremost expert on New York voting trends, the demographics of the electorate, how gubernatorial races are won and lost, paths to victory and more. That's Bruce Jury, a senior advisor at Manat, Phelps & Phillips, based in Albany. Bruce is a strategist, a polling expert, a political scientist, and professor. He's written extensive, insightful recent pieces in Empire Report New York and elsewhere. And I'm very happy to have him join me here on the show to set the table for the final days of the 2022 election and what to know as the votes are cast and tallied. My conversation in just a moment with Bruce Jury on the 2022 electoral playing field in New York with a particular focus on the governor's race, what the electorate might look like, what the polling is telling us, and the path to victory for Hochul and Zeldin and more. Briefly, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, find them at Max Politics wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. I've had some really good and interesting recent discussions on the elections and other topics with great guests. We've had uh, episodes here about the ballot questions. There's a statewide ballot question on Environmental Bond Act. And then there's three other questions on racial justice proposals for just New York City voters. Uh, I've spoken with the head of the New York Working Families Party, Sochi Nemica, about where the party stands and how it's trying again to fight for survival to keep its ballot line Uh, We broke down the lone Hochul Zeldin debate with Dr. Christina Greer and Casey Seiler of the Times Union. I've had on the state controller candidates, Paul Rodriguez, the Republican, and Tom DiNapoli, the Democrat, and other great recent discussions. So, again, find any or all of those at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. And at the Gotham Gazette site, you can, of course, also find all of our reporting. And we've been covering the elections closely and not ignoring things in city politics and government either. So check us out at GothamGazette.com, of course. All right. Bruce Jory's with me. He's a senior advisor in the Albany office of Manat, Phelps and Phillips, a commentator, a strategist, a polling expert. He previously has served governors of New York. He's an adjunct professor and much more. Bruce, thanks for being here. How are you?
1: Well, I'm, I'm great. In fact, I'm going to make sure my granddaughters listen to your introduction so they're more impressed with their grandfather than they were before. So I thank you.
0: You're welcome. Happy what I mean
1: to say is um, I'm not going to grind any partisan axes in this. I'm not going to w- put on my Democratic strategist hat so much as I think it'd be more interesting both for you and your and your listeners. If I focused on the hard arithmetic of New York politics and objectively laid out the paths to victory for each party, because th- th- it's grounded in, arith- in political arithmetic. So if you'd allow Perfect. me, let me take what a Republican has to do to win a two-way race for governor. Great. Um, any Republican, they need to win upstate arbitrarily defined as everything north and west of Westchester and Rockland. I realize demographers could say, well, you know, Orange and Duchess and Columbia are really now more the northern suburbs. They make a strong case. But for historical comparative purposes, I'm going to leave the old definition of upstate, which is everything north of Westchester and Rockland. A Republican needs to carry that by close to 20 percent to be in a, a position to win. A Republican also has to carry the downstate suburbs, Long Island plus Westchester and Rockland. And Long Island casts about 68 percent of that suburban vote by about by just under 15 percent or 15 percent to be in a position to win. And in New York City, the Republican needs to get uh, the share of the vote they get from New York City needs to be at least equal to the share of the vote New York City casts in the general election. So to make that a little easier, if New York City cast 32% of the state vote, the Republican would need to crack 32% of the vote from New York City. That's what a Republican needs. For a Democrat, you want to increase both the, the share of the vote coming from New York City, because now we just have New York City has 39% of the state registered voters, but in midterm elections, it tends to be appreciably under that. In a presidential race, it'll vote 35, maybe 36% of the total vote from New York City. In gubernatorial races, it can be as low as 26 or as high as 32. The higher that share is from New York City, and the greater the margin a Democrat carries that, the better it is for them. And then they try to shave the vote of the Republican edge in the suburbs. And in recent elections, Democrats have actually Narrowly carried the suburban vote, and then upstate, um, Spitzer carried upstate. Cuomo carried upstate in 2010, not in 14 or 18. But you, but if you keep it close, you're in a you're in a very good position. That's the math we're dealing with. Now, the polling data. Why is the poll? I mean we have polls just the last two days. We have Trafalgar saying Zeldin's ahead by one. We have data for progress saying hopefuls yeah. up by 12. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, if, if this were TV, you'd see I'm really quite bald. If I wasn't so bald, I'd be pulling my hair out. How do, I, how do you make heads or tails in this? The reason for that is the suppositions or presumption on the share of the vote cast by key constituencies, uh, the polls differ on that. And the like, and, and the likely voter samples tend to be off. So the now, now I'm not a pollster, but I've analyzed polls for 40 years, which is why people consider me. You were very kind to say an expert on polling. I'm 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 a, I'm a self-taught. I don't consider myself an expert, but I analyze them and then track them for their accuracy. I have enormous empathy for pollsters. Because here's what you have to do to get it right in a state like New York. You have to get the partisanship down right. You have to get gender down right. You have to get age down right. You have to get race, ethnicity, and religion right. And now, in recent years, you have to get people's education level right. That's a lot to get right in a sample of, of 800 or 1,000, much less to get it right in a sample of four or five hundred. So that's why you see these, these these rather stark differences. So, for instance, Mayor, um, not Mayor, Quinnipiac said uh, Hochul was only up by 4%, took people by surprise. But they had the Republicans only have the Democratic edge at only 15% over Republicans. Usually that edge is 25 to 30%. But we don't know where it is. We also have... have Are women going to be affected? I'll give you another example. In the Siena poll, which showed Hochul up by, I think, 11% in their most recent one, but they had the female share of the total vote at 49%. Well, for the last 15 years, women have not cast less than a 53% share of the New York state vote in a presidential or a gubernatorial election. So they were... Now... They'll say, well, but that's what came back with our sample. But that's what's tricky. When you say I'm a likely voter sample, sometimes they're wrong. Another example, and I don't mean to pick on Sienna because Sienna tries to get it right. In 2010, the closing poll had the likely voters, the aggregate minority vote, Black plus Hispanic plus Asian plus biracial and multiracial, at only 15% of the electorate. So their closing poll said Cuomo is coming is heading down towards 55% against Palladino. Canapoli and Harry Wilson are in a dead heat. Donovan and Eric Schneiderman for AG are in a dead heat. Slight problem. When they opened the voting machines, the aggregate minority vote was 29% of the total vote. Democrats carried it by an over 3-to-1 margin. Cuomo got over 60%, won, I think, by 29%. Denapoli won by 4% and uh, and Schneiderman by 12%. So the, the now I say, oh, that was a terrible poll. Well, it made a mistake, but they were, but, but it's enormously difficult to accurately gauge who is actually going to turn out to vote by asking people questions about it. There's mm-hmm. a natural tendency to, if I'm really angry and you were a pollster, Ben, and you called me up and I said, I hate what's going on with crime and inflation. I'm going to vote against the Democrats. Okay. Well, I sound like I'm really going to vote. And you say, what's your likelihood of voting? Put it on a scale of one to five. I say, it's 10. Forget <laughs> five, it's 10. Then you if you ask me, well, are you going to vote? And let's say I'm, I'm a more passive person. And I say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to vote. And you, you say, well, I don't know if this guy's going to vote. Well, the the more passive or calmer voters vote doesn't count any less than the aggrieved than the agreed right. citizen. So polling in this is an inexact science. Then we have some pollsters. For instance, Emerson uses something called the very likely voter methodology. I don't know what very likely means. I do know what happens with Emerson polls. They tend to track older white voters very, very, very accurately, but they tend to underestimate minority voters. So, you know, when you when you distill all this down empirically and you have a sense of it, you're left scratching your head And the posters are so all over the place in New York this year that I don't know who to believe or disbelieve. So I'm not presuming I'm smart enough to know, but I'm not investing I'm not taking any one poll and saying, aha, Trafalgar's right, he's gonna win by one, or aha, data for progress is right, Hokel's gonna win by 12. I'm saying, let's see. And nor do I think you can average the polls and just say, oh, that helps me, because you could be, you could be, um, you could be uh, averaging uh prime rib or lobster with uh with spam and not no offense to people who like spam. I had mm-hmm. a father who liked spam. I don't. But so you don't, So averaging polls shouldn't make you feel really any more confident in the outcome. So it comes down to turnout. So what am I? If you want to ask the the, the tipping points I'm looking for when the votes are counted, I'd be glad to lay that out.
0: Yeah, but but before before you do that, yes, just in terms of what the electorate might. Or would probably look like. Give us a little overview of oh, when yeah. you were when you were talking about the past to victory, you got at this a little, but but expand on what the electorate is likely to look at. Now, as part oh, of that yeah. question, though, two other things. Yeah. One, 2018, first post-Trump, you know, major election in New York turnout was way up. I'm not yeah. sure that anything was that different other than a lot more interest and a lot more people voting in terms of what the breakdown of that electorate looked fairly similar. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do we expect, I I, I mean, I think we expect turnout to come back down some, but say a little bit about what you expect the electorate to look at like, will it look like 2018 in in the similar ways? What are you, how are you sort of forecasting the electorate for this election?
1: That's a very good question, and uh, I don't know, but I can tell. What made 2018 a high turnout election is, what happens is the the um, in an, in an off-year election or a, mid, or a gubernatorial election versus a presidential, what tends to happen is younger voters tend to vote less, single women tend to vote less, and minority voters, particularly younger minorities, tend to vote less. In midterms than in presidential, that tends to hurt Democrats or make this the uh, if you analogize it to walking up a hill, that makes it a little steeper climb for Democrats in a gubernatorial election than in a presidential. What made 2018 different then is that younger voters voted not as high as they did in a presidential, but much higher than a midterm. The minority vote was up, and younger women's vote was up some. So. So that helped the Democrats in 2018 when you compared it to 2014 or 2006 or going back to when Pataki was governor in like 1998 or even 2002. Now, this year. I have a hunch. Now, a hunch is less than a prediction, but more than a hope. What was wrong about and I'll make an analogy and it's a mirror image in my mind of 2016. In 2016, we sort of knew early on in the Trump-Hillary election that blue-collar white men with a high school or less education were fleeing the Democrats and going to Trump. We had that sense. But the late likely voter polls weren't picking up that they were going to be that much of a factor in the election. And what Democrats did is they were nervous about that, those defections amongst blue-collar white men in September and October. But when the late polls came out, human nature is, if I thought there was bad news and I don't see bad news, I'm going to forget about it, right? Then they woke up and found out an explosion of voting in comparative terms of those blue-collar white men made a huge difference in rural Wisconsin up the Upper Peninsula, which is fairly rural, small town in Michigan, and in the area of Pennsylvania between the Pittsburgh metropolitan area and the Philadelphia metropolitan area, and Trump narrowly won each of those three states, and hence the the, the electoral college. Now, this year, in the wake of Dobbs or the overturning of Roe v. Wade, for those who don't remember the Dobbs name but remember Roe v. Wade, we had a sense younger white women were outraged by that decision and were going to turn out. There was anecdotal. They were registering more. We saw what happened in Kansas. We saw what happened in the special election here in New York where Ryan beat Molinaro in the old 19th to the Delgado district and beat expectations. The polling data didn't pick it up. They showed Ryan making it close but not winning and he wound up winning. Now the likely voter sampling is not picking up that, that these younger white women, uh, not, not white, these younger women, many of them are white, but not exclusively, are, are not don't look like they're coming out in big numbers according to likely voter polls. But what if it's the mirror image of 2016, and in fact, these younger women do come out, and they come out wanting to express their opposition to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, And find a candidate like Zeldin, who's always been pro-life, and the fact that it's going to be the opportunity for the first major party nominee, who's a woman, in terms of Kathy Hochul. What if that changes, what what if that ticks up the women's percentage to 54% and leads to the sharp gender gap that Emerson picked up in their poll, where they showed men divided equally between Hochul and Zeldin, but women giving her a a 16-point edge? That could be a factor. I'm not predicting it, but I'm watching for it. Something tells me and 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 the and the one anecdotal thing I, I point to is in the first couple days where they were tabulating absentee ballots, mm-hmm. women cast fifty nine percent of absentee ballots in New York. Now, mm-hmm. is that an aberration of just the first two days of counting? Uh, are, are Republican women going to come out? Uh, on election day and same day voting or in early voting, so you know, I hesitate to to draw too much from from early absentee or early voting trends because it's tough to 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 determine the size of any one piece of pie until you know the size of the entire pie. Right, and we're not going to know that till the end. But I would be keeping an eye on that. That that perhaps we're underestimating the women's vote here. Uh, On the other hand, if older white voters are very upset about both inflation as they near retirement, that that's a worry about inflation. They're worried about crime and maybe Zeldin gets more defections from registered Democrats than 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 either Astorino got or Palladino got or Mark Molinaro got in 2018. That could make a difference. So so. Let if I sound you. like I can't make up my mind, <laughs> it's because all I see in analyzing this election are question marks rather than a series of exclamation marks where I can say, yes, Ben, I know what the share of the Black vote's going to be. I know what share of the Hispanic vote's going to be. And I know how it's going to break. Now, to to get back to answering your question, what are some of the benchmarks in recent years? And it's... It, <laughs> The Democratic candidate, Andrew Cuomo, tended to carry the aggregate minority vote, Black plus Hispanic plus Asian, plus biracial and multiracial, by, three and a half, by, by over three to one. If, if, if And that share has been growing from 29% of the total vote to over 31%. So I'm looking, is that share at 31% or more? And can Hochul carry it by a, a three-to-one margin, or is that to the share of the vote going to drop under 30 percent? And will and will Zeldin, due to defections amongst Asian and Hispanic voters, get that margin heading towards two-to-one rather than being three-to-one? That's significant. I'm also looking at younger voters. Is the uh, is the under 30 vote a 10 percent share or more of the electorate, or does it drop to six to eight percent? And is it go and the usual margin under 30 voters vote Democratic is two to one? Is it close to that or can Zeldin get get it closer to only 60 40? That would be very that would be very significant. Mm-hmm. And then of course I'm looking, does he carry Long Island by 15% or is the margin under 10? Um Um, And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. The other. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well,
0: I want to I want to just follow up on two things you said. So let's stick with that last thing. Yeah. Zeldin being from Long Island and and recent Long Island trends like elections last year where Republicans had a very good year are would lead me to believe and tell me what you think that Long Island will be sort of above what we might think for a Republican nominee for governor coming in for him. It could spell uh, very- you know, s- significant success for Republicans in state Senate races and House races. But do you see that happening? And in conjunction with that, is the reverse possibly true for the upstate vote, given that Kathy Hochul is from Erie County and could potentially do, you know, yes. f- very well there that it counteracts some of how Zeldin yes, might come in on lot.
1: Yes and yes. But let me say why I'm saying yes. Yeah. If he does carry Long Island by 15 percent, that's a big deal for him. But I did notice in the Republican primary, he did much better in Suffolk County, his home county, than he did in Nassau. Mm -hmm. The other factor is crime plays very heavily in this, um, in his favor. And we know how Long Island voters reacted in 2021 in the two DA's races, the campaigns based on opposition to bail reform. So that could be. But on the other hand, Long Island is also a very pro-choice electorate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we don't know. So in my mind, it's a huge question mark. Now, flip it to the other side, upstate. I think I think, you know, upstate, when you look at the map, it's overwhelmingly rural and small town. When you count up the votes, the large majority of votes upstate are really cast. In the, in, 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 in the metropolitan counties, both the urban center and then the extended suburbs and exurbs. So right. if Poco can carry her home county of Erie, carry on Onondaga, where she just announced a major, uh, you know, the Micron chip, you know, 50,000 jobs, largest private sector investment. Um, if she carries Albany, she can carry Broom, Tompkins, Ulster, it's tough to see Zeldin uh, winning upstate by, uh, by 20%. Mm. Uh, Also Zeldin did not run that strongly in the Northern suburbs, Westchester, Rockland, and in, you know, counties like Putnam and Orange and there, he didn't run nearly as strong there as he did in the North country in the Southern tier. So I think, I, I think those are questions
0: and I, and you know, do I? But, expect but that Zeldin Zeldin? perform that performance in the primary doesn't doesn't probably doesn't matter that much in the general, right? All the all the voters that went for Astorino and and Wilson and Giuliani in the primary are coming out for Zeldin but, in the
1: general. Well, it, it, yes, but but Westchester has tilted sharply Democratic yes, over yes. the last three or four cycles. Yes. So let's say Zeldin won Long Island by by twelve or thirteen, which sounds good. But he only, but, 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 Hokel won Westchester by 10. And remember, Cuomo beat Astorino by 10% in 2014. And and let's say Rockland is close. Uh, Then he probably carries the suburbs by under 10. He carries the suburbs, meaning Zeldin, but not by the 15% margin he needs. I'm not to, presuming to, that's what it is but I think that's going that's going to be an interesting
0: question. To be clear, even winning Long Island by 12% would be a, a significant showing for him, is that correct? Right, I mean, right,
1: but the suburban vote it comes usually comes to about 24% mm-hmm. and upstate vote usually is between 42 and 43%. So let's say she she lost upstate by under 10, that's a huge only under 10. Right whereas Cuomo lost upstate by a solid 10% uh, in 2014 uh that would be a huge blow to Zeldin's chances of of actually winning I don't know the answer to these questions right but I do think we know that there is something peculiar about this election that may be worth your 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 thinking on and your re- and your uh, listeners thinking on mm. in the, recent years yeah. independent swing voters have tilted sharply one direction or the other. In 2006, for the Democrats, the anti-Iraq war. In 2014, tilted for the Republicans. In 2016, for the Republicans. In 2018 and 20, for the Democrats. So it shifted, and it doesn't tend to shift. At 52-48, it tends to come close to double-digit. This year... The swing voter, I think this year, my back of the envelope calculations is the swing voter this year is made up of conservative Democrats, moderate Republicans who, when I was a young man, which means a long time ago, we used to call them Rockefeller Republicans, more affluent, highly educated, pro-choice, pro-environment, Republicans who were who who didn't like who, who were fiscally conservative but socially liberal, or liberal on socialism. And true independents, not the who we Republican or Lean Democratic. And I my back of the envelope calculation is that 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 that, that trio of conservative Democrats, moderate Republicans, and true independents is about 15 to 20 percent of the electorate. Here's what's interesting: there's a constellation of issues that pulls those voters away from the Democrats. And notice how I frame that: away from the Democrats. That's the increase in crime the increase in inflation, and the resulting economic insecurity. When those voters are focused on that constellation of issues, they tend to swing against the Democrats. When they're focused on the overturning of Roe v. Wade, gun safety, and they're they're not liking what they're seeing about political violence and 1-6, brought back into their minds by the terrible attack on Paul Pelosi and the break-in, The Speaker's House, which has dominated the news cycle since Saturday everywhere around the country, they tend to tilt away from the Republicans. Now, Mm -hmm. in September, that was helping the Democrats because the focus was on gun safety in the wake of the the Buffalo massacre and the Uvalde tragedy. Uh, 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 There was fresh, red-hot anger over the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs. And the summer had a lot of the one six here. October, the focus has been more; those voters have been focusing on crime, inflation, and economic insecurity. So I think that's why the polls are tight. I consider the last this last two weeks of the campaign to to be almost a tug of war between Hochul's Democrats and Zeldin's Republicans over which lens to shift metaphor. Those same swing voters, we're talking about the same voters are capable, depending on what they prioritize, of voting, uh, of voting. uh, It's not so much for Zeldin or for Hochul. It's against the Republicans or against the Democrats. And I don't know where they end up. So that plus plus base turnout, that's going to tell us where this ends up. And that's why I think there's so much confusion, because we're seeing contradictory signals in the focus of both the swing voters and the intensity of the base turnout, and so we don't have the usual comfort in predicting. Ah, I know it's going to be an eight percent Democratic win, or aha, I know it's going to be a, a, a upset victory by two or three percent by the Republicans. I don't think we know.
0: Yeah. Couple things. One, um, that speak of base turnout. Uh, I want to come back to. I want to come back to some swing, uh, swing voter question in a minute. But on base turnout, what's the key there? Is is it basically just does can Kathy Hochul get out the New York City vote to the degree yeah. needed? I mean, is that really basically what it comes down to, and why we're seeing that urgency from her campaign a bit more? Is that too simplistic? Obviously. You're already,
1: you, you, at all. <laughs> I, I think it, I think you're I think you're directly on point mm-hmm. because of that history. It, if minority voters, that you know, now Zeldin can cut the margin amongst Hispanics and Asians, but but the last three or four elections, actually four, the the Democrats have carried minority voters by a by a three by a over three to one. So seventy five percent to, to twenty five.
0: But also if, that. The the juicing up the, you know, typically referred to as white progressive voters of the Upper West Side of Brownstone, Brooklyn. Okay. And there, then there's okay. this this lefty corridor that's been winning all these races in in Western Brooklyn and Western Queens. Um,
1: all very important. And, yeah. and, and you mentioned you had uh, the head of the WFP. They don't love hokel They endorsed Jumani, But. They're very worried about securing their hundred thirty thousand votes to right. have their party status. So whatever their hesitancy or or uh towards HOCL, they want to they have their own enlightened self-interest to turn right. out that vote. The other-
0: I, I found it remarkable, by the way, and I and I asked So Genemica about this, you know, there's been no, you know, sort of Hochul WFP event, maybe she thinks that would hurt her where, you know, Zeldin and conservatives would maybe use it against her, but they've had no unity event. Jamani Williams and Hochul haven't had an event together right. since the primary, uh, you know, th- th- there's but, some but, question but, marks but, but,
1: there. But Jumaane Williams, uh, 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 Jumaane Williams, as we saw on the primary, uh, uh, he's not the vote driver. If, if, if the WFP canvas effort, which is mm-hmm. their and potatoes, And their tried and true mechanism for generating the vote, if they're doing that reach out uh, uh, there, that could have an impact. Now, the other voter is the suburban, the the, the suburban women, the highly educated, often affluent.
0: I wanted to come back to them, but, um, but just one more second in the in the city or in cities, really. There are these questions about Hochul connecting, especially with Black voters, and this question of okay, she's very likely to lose some Hispanic and Asian voters to Zeldin. As you've gotten at, how many and what those numbers are like are, are very important. But the question, at least that that several experts point to, is: Will Black voters actually come out for her? They won't come out and vote for Zeldin, most likely, in any type of big That's numbers, but does she have the relationships and has she been trying and as we're speaking here i mean she's working on this on this very day in public on uh, here on thursday november 3rd she's working on these things but that's that's a key
1: no but we also have somebody who is a tried and true uh vote producer in the minority community in terms of tish james who is on the ballot who some of the polling data uh seems to be saying oh my god uh, this is a lot closer for her yeah so you know. If, they may not be, I mean, it's not like they're enemies, but they were rivals at one point. You know, they may not be uh, uh, BFFs, but they're joined at the hip functionally. Yeah. If the local can bring out white suburban women, to turn out in higher numbers than the likely voter polls is, are suggesting. And James, who has a tried and true track record of pulling out black and Hispanic voters, can do that. My sense is what the new voters Hokel brings out will also vote for James, and the, and the additional voters James turns out from the minority community will vote for Hokel. So th- that's another case of enlightened, enlightened self-interest. And, and you know, the other thing, though, is everybody ch- was telling me back in the primary, Hokel is not going to run well with Hispanics in the primary. That's a big problem. She's not supporting Archilla. She did she one of her strongest base votes in the primary were Hispanics. Now, maybe maybe they're fleeing her now, and maybe the general election profile of Hispanic voters is different than the primary. But until she starts actually losing voters, I'm not going to presume she can't do well with hispanics. that's but but that's a huge factor. If Zeldon can get forty percent of the Hispanic vote like Pataki did against McCall in two thousand and two, that's a huge factor. If if it's if it's closer to 70-30 in favor of the, of Hochul, that's a major factor. Oh, um, the Asian on... vote is another. Although the although the Hispanic vote and and, and what's the size? The other thing is right. the likely voter polls have a have a a chronic history of underestimating not only the size of the minority vote but the degree to which it breaks for the candidate they prefer. I will never forget, God rest his soul, Mel Miller, who later became Speaker, chastising me in 1982 when I wrote a memo predicting that Mario Cuomo would beat Ed Koch in the primary, which is where I made my bones as a prognosticator, and I've been living off of that for 40 years, and my wife can tell you all the instances when my projections have been wrong, (laughs) (laughs) so I won't give you her phone number. But all joking aside, I remember Mel Miller saying, Bruce, you're wrong. The polls are showing Cuomo can barely hit 60 percent amongst blacks and he's only and he's 50-50 with Koch amongst Hispanics. And I said, I dare say I think these polls are wrong. And when they opened up the the votes, he did a lot better. Fast forward. Same thing. 2009. Mike Bloomberg is going to beat Bill Thompson by 15 to 20 percent. Because Thompson is underperforming among blacks and 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 Hispanics. So well, it turned out those pre-election polls were very wrong. Thompson swept blacks and got a solid majority of Hispanics. Made that race a 4.7 percent race, not a 15 percent race. Year in, year out. I'll use Jumanee Williams, the Emerson poll. Jumanee Williams is going to get 6.6 percent of the of the primary votes. is going to get 17. <laughs> I wrote a piece that said nonsense. Giamatti Williams is going to finish second. I think he's going to crack 20%. And Swazi's going to be stuck between 12 and 14. Well, I was right about Swazi. He was 13. I was a little bit wrong. Giamatti came in at 19.8. He didn't crack 20%. <laughs> but I, I consider that's a lot closer than the Emerson poll was. So, so, so my point is the public polls are very good about measuring older white voters like yours truly. I'm going to turn 68 in less than a month. Mm-hmm. They don't measure they don't accurately predict the minority vote the same way. Let's see. Now, I don't know where it ends up. That'll be enormously significant. I'm looking at younger voters, and particularly younger younger women, and I'm looking at where the at the share of the total vote cast by minority voters And does it come close to breaking a three to one margin for hopeful or does Zeldin cut in on that? And, and, and we'll see.
0: All right. We're in our last few minutes here with Bruce Jury, uh, who uh, I, we could talk for hours here, Bruce, there's a lot more to to get to, but let me, let me throw a few other things at you here in our last few minutes. Um, The, the question of sort of the mood of the electorate, you've written a little bit about this um, that, you know, Ha- have you seen anything like this? Because we have all these data points, Joe Biden approval, Kathy Hochul approval, right track, wrong track, polling, um, you know, years of COVID, uh, inflation, crime, frustration all over the place. Democrats control all of state government. Democrats control the federal government. Um is is that sort of element underlying a lot of this a big reason for Democrats to be concerned here, especially uh, Kathy Hochul? Because as far as I'm looking at these results of these last gubernatorial elections, I'm looking at how Cuomo performs. Again, he's a Cuomo. That's a, it's a different beast. But you know, no Republican in these three races is coming anywhere close to him, and yet we're talking about Lee Zeldin being in striking distance here. And I'm trying to figure out other than Cuomo's being Cuomo's and Kathy Hochul not being from New York City or or the area and not having those deep roots and, and some other things at play, maybe sexism, maybe gender, you know, issues. But what else is at play here?
1: I would describe the electorate as in, an, in an, a, a vote, a lot of angry voters. And it's an unsettled electorate, but it's not but it's not running all in one direction. There's voters angry about a lot of different things. There's voters angry and upset about crime, but there's also there are also voters very angry and upset about their rights being taken away in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. There's a lot of there's a lot of 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 angry women not understanding the opposition to gun safety legislation. For instance, mm. the concealed permit law that Zeldin keeps attacking Hochul on it. When Sienna polled on that, it was supported 82 to 15. Last I checked, I wouldn't make them, if I were running for governor, I wouldn't make a major stand on an issue where 82% disagree with me and only 15% agree. So I don't know where, and that's why in the piece that I wrote for Empire Report this week, I said, everybody's asking me, is there a, a red wave or a blue wave? And I said, I'm not looking for waves, I'm looking for riptides. And these riptides could hit different parties in different ways in different regions. Now we know where the riptide, we know what where the riptides are, what are gonna make them up. We know we have a riptide on crime and we know we have one on inflation and economic security. We know we have a riptide on abortion and we know we have a riptide on gun safety. What we don't know is where it's gonna trip up candidates in different regions of the state and where it's going to all settle out. So I think it's made for a closer election. And I'm not saying that I don't think Zeldin has a chance to win, but my own sense is at the end of the day, I'm not smart enough to know where all this where all this balances out and it and most of my uncertainty is not that I'm a coward in making a prediction, it's in I have a profound distrust of such contradictory public polling data. Yeah. And I don't know whose assumptions are right and wrong on the actual turnout of the elector. So do I expect a closer election than we had in 14 and 18 in 2010 and 2006? You betcha. But I don't know where, you know, I don't know where it ultimately ends up. And I could see different I could see different trends in different places. I could see Hokel beating expectations in central New York where they just delivered that micron plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and beating expectations in Erie County, but I could see uh, her coming underperforming in Long Island. I, I you know, I can yeah. also see, see a sharp distinction in the margin between Suffolk and Nassau and Westchester and Rockland. And so where those riptides play out and its overall effect on the overall turnout is, in my mind, a huge question mark. Yeah.
0: <laughs> When you when you zoom out, I know you said you don't you know averaging the polls doesn't make a lot of sense and and but when you zoom out and you just if you just looked at the top line of all the polling we have, you get the sense that we are in something of a six to ten point race here, right? That 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 if the election were held, you know, yesterday, most likely, again, most likely, Hillary Clinton was most likely to win, but most likely you're talking about a Hokel win somewhere between six and 10 points. Is that fair to say that that's what the, that's, that's what the numbers tell us, but that means that Lee Zeldin is clearly within striking distance. If he yeah, gets a straight flush.
1: I, I honestly think it's probably a little tighter. I I, I uh-huh. think if, if, if you put a gun to my head and said, said, you know, I think, I think Hochul is, is Hochul has a chance to win between six and eight, maybe six and nine. Zeldin has a chance to 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 either lose by two or potentially win by one. I think that net effect, if I'm right, is more favorable to Hokel, but I I think it's very much in doubt until you know the overall turnout pattern. So I'm I, right. I so, so I think, you know, I I, I think that's where we are. My my, my hunch is and, and I, I repeat not a prediction, but more than a hope. I think we're going to be surprised that younger single women were a lot more interested in voting than the current polls are saying, and that will that will help the Democrats, but I don't think they're going to win in a landslide. Mm.
0: And lastly, I wanted to come back to this. It's not exactly sort of a final note like that, that part of the discussion we just had was, but I wanted to come back to this because the gender gaps in the polling, you you got at this a little bit, but I, I I've been struck by the gender gaps in almost all the polls, and yes. and I'm wondering if when push comes to shove, meaning people actually decide whether to vote or they actually go to vote, whether this election will in some significant part hinge on suburban women and whether they join suburban men in clearly preferring Zeldin, or they go with Hokel. There's obviously other things we've gotten at here, uh base turnout, uh, you know, what what city vote looks like, people of color, a variety of other factors, but does suburban women seem like a very key vote here?
1: I think you have just posed the wisest question I've heard in quite some time. I think that's the ballgame. And and I don't presume to know the 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 answer to to where that comes out but i think the answer will be dispositive on the outcome and the margin
0: well hey that's i mean that's a great way to end it as far as i'm concerned i should have should ask the better question I, mean the I
1: wasn't just being a wise guy i think <laughs> that's the, yeah that's the question and and i think it's uh and and i think we don't know the 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 I I don't know the answer, but that's what I'm going to be looking at.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, as far as I'm concerned, I've been looking at this and saying Hokel should be hammering messaging, not only about protecting abortion rights, but also to undercut the sort of pocketbook other pocketbook issues I should say related to inflation and cost of living and you know they they did the gas tax holiday but how much impact did that really have and did she really even own that enough you know why isn't she uh selling her accomplishments more anyway a lot more we could get into but um and and, and, and,
1: and, and the other thing it's difficult about women unlike when we break the glass ceiling when you know whether it's for electing Herbert Lehman the first Jewish governor of New York, or the or or Barack Obama or John Kennedy, the first Catholic president, or Barack Obama, the first, uh, the first African American president. For some reason, women are never as vocal or like beating their chest on crashing that glass ceiling as men are. I think because women are cross-tugged, because they're cross-tugged by their socioeconomic status, their educational status racial religion, you know, the only thing that defines them is not that they're women, but 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 if women ultimately decide they want to vote that, that, that they want to they want to ratify the first woman governor, in, in retrospect we'll see that as important. And I think the factor there is less going to be the older women than whether younger women uh, are the ones who who make that determination. And again, I think I think that's the question. I don't presume I know the answer, but that's what I think we're going to be looking at when we handle when we do the postmortem on this New York State gubernatorial election 2022.
0: All right. Well, we will of course be looking for your postmortem uh in in wherever it might be, uh, and variety of places. And this was um a great conversation. Bruce Jury, thanks very much for taking the time. It's Thank really you. been the
1: honor the honor was mine and and thanks for asking such good questions.
0: A pleasure speaking with you, and we'll of course uh we'll be watching together as these final days come down the home stretch here. You've been listening to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I've been joined by Bruce Jury, who's with Manat, Phelps, and Phillips, and a variety of other uh, places and endeavors, including uh, polling analysis and uh, political science, professor at University of Albany, and uh, other things. Bruce, thanks again, and be well.
1: Thank you.